Please turn with me to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 3, verse 16. You can also follow along on page 7 of your bulletin. Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, My lord, this woman and I live in the same house. I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone, and there was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, No, the living one is my son, the dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, No, the dead one is yours, the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, This one says, My son is alive and your son is dead, while the other one says, No, your son is dead and mine is alive. The king said, Bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order, cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was filled with compassion for her son and said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling, give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's always an honor and privilege to be able to share from God's word um, on Sundays with everyone and, and really not just impart wisdom, uh, but really encourage all of us here who um, throughout even just two months into a new year, have experienced tremendous brokenness and tremendous heartache. You know, and into the new year, we've already experienced what it means to uh, really suffer. And, and so we've been going through a sermon series uh, titled God's Presence uh, in Our Brokenness. And over the past few weeks, we've been uh, looking at the life of King David, the king of Israel. Uh, and we're moving into the book of First Kings, where uh, it really tells the story of Israel's history after David's death. And so today we're going to look at David's son, whose name is Solomon, uh, who's, who's taken over the rule and reign for his father David. And here in 1 Kings chapter 3, uh, we learn that we are all in desperate need of wisdom. Whether it's small decisions or big decisions in our lives, we all need wisdom. We all need discernment. In fact, when we woke up this morning, many of us uh, thought about what outfits we were going to wear, make sure we look real fly when we get to church. When we went to our coffee shop, we thought about whether or not we're going to add that extra shot of espresso because we were out late Saturday night. We're always making choices and decisions in the small decisions of our lives, but also the big ones. Am I marrying the right person? Am I raising my children in the right neighborhoods? Should I move to Philadelphia and start a new life here? 
we're always constantly making choices and decisions that have lasting impact on our lives. And 1 Kings chapter 3 uh, really teaches us that lesson. And so 1 Kings really begins with, with David on his deathbed. And up to this point in Israel's history, uh, David had been revered and known as uh, the greatest king of their nation. And so Solomon, upon taking uh, his father's rule and his reign, he's got some big shoes to fill. He is young, and in a lot of ways, he's unfit to be king. And, upon, and on his deathbed, David, Solomon's father, says, act therefore to your wisdom, according to your wisdom. And a few verses later, David tells Solomon to conquer and defeat and kill off all of his enemies. And he says, now therefore do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. From the moment upon his father's death and he, the moment that he's reigned king, Solomon um, knew that he was called to be wise, to act upon with wisdom. And like any father imparting his final words to their son, David's words had a lot of weight to it. After David dies, Solomon becomes a new king and his reign and his rule is established. And during this time in Israel's history, we have to remember that the king didn't just function as a ruler, but he also functioned as a judge. And so today we look at a trial between uh, the King Solomon and two prostitutes. And so we're going to look at three things from this passage. First, we're going to look at the situation, what's happening here. Second, we're going to look at the story, what's Take a look at the testimonies of these two women. And finally, we're going to look at the verdict. What does King Solomon do at the end of this narrative? First, we're going to look at the situation. Now, today's passage begins with two women who come to the king, and one is a plaintiff and one is a defendant. And really, these women are not named in this story, but they're identified as prostitutes. And see, that's important because when we think about it, king, the king of an entire nation was the ruler, but also the judge of a high court. The reality is King Solomon didn't have to take on this case. And this was his first act as the king of Israel, and yet he chose to take on this case of two prostitutes. They were unreliable, they lacked credibility, and there were no witnesses to the accusations that were being made. And for his first act, for his first judgment, for his first criminal case, he actually decides to take this on. See, one of the first things we have to see in this story is that Solomon isn't just displaying wisdom, he's also displaying mercy. He could have just allowed the lower courts to take care of this case, but he doesn't. And there's weightiness to this case. Depending on what Solomon chooses and rules and determines and judges at the end of this case, it can change the entire trajectory of his kingship. And not only that, a woman had just lost her son, and another woman had her son stolen. So there's a heavy weight to the decision that Solomon was about to make. This points to the reality that sometimes in our lives, we have to make some heavy choices. We're going to run into things in moments where we're not going to know what to do, what is going to inform your choices in your life? What's going to inform the decisions you make, the good ones and the bad ones? And what's going to keep you to persevere through the results and the consequences of them? This moment's heavy for everyone involved, 
depending what judgment gets passed, King Solomon can be either seen as a wise king or he could be seen as an unjust king. Depending on his decision, a woman can either lose her child or keep him. Where do we get the wisdom that we need when we have to decide hard decisions in our lives that have lasting impact? Earlier in chapter 3, Solomon prays to God. You know, in his prayer, he actually says, I am but a little child. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. There's three things that we have to see about wisdom. First, Solomon starts his prayer by saying, I am but a child. The reality is, in order for us to receive wisdom, we have to know and believe that we actually need it. Solomon has a posture of humility. He has a posture of a child. He knows that he needs a good father to provide for him. When you think about children, they're in desperate need of their parents. There's nothing that they can do on their own. From the beginning time when they're first born, the parents are changing diapers, feeding them, putting them to bed. And as they grow up, they start to rebel a little bit. And I know some of you know about that right now. And they're constantly caring and rearing their children and caring for and providing for them. And so Solomon, he's grown. He was just established as a king, and yet he describes himself as a child. Second, we have to understand that true wisdom isn't for our sake, but it's for the good of others. He says, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind. He's not asking for wisdom so that he can grow in prosperity, grow in power, live a long life. He's asking for wisdom so that he can serve. Third, Solomon prays for the ability to discern between good and evil. The reality is we're always looking for wisdom, whether it's the things that we're listening to, watching, reading, the things that are informing our lives. And that wisdom isn't for the good of others or isn't for the good of others. It's for our own good. And then oftentimes we use our wisdom and our motivation and the things that we constantly are pursuing uh, not to um, display justice, but to really serve ourselves. The first thing we have to understand about wisdom is that it can only be given by God. It can't be earned. It can't be worked for. Solomon here is submitting himself as the king under the true authority of the true king. One of the first things he does when he's established as a king is that he prays. You know, William Shakespeare is, uh, he once said that the, the full thing's He's wise, but the wise man knows himself to be a fool. Solomon knew he was a fool. That's why he prayed. Solomon could have prayed for a long life. He could have prayed for prosperity. He could have prayed for a a strong and large and mighty army, but he doesn't. Because he knew more than anything else in his life, more than anything else in our lives, we need the wisdom to be able to make good choices and use good discernment. We all need wisdom to make choices and decisions in the most critical moments of our lives. But the problem is, many of us lack wisdom. Many of us have made terrible decisions in our lives. Many of us live with regret, as if 
The one thing that we need is a time machine to take things back. You know, social and cultural commentators years ago said uh, many people, many young people, uh, really struggled with uh, this idea of the fear of missing out, right? Like, we want social connection, we want relational intimacy, and we feel as though um, when we're given options that uh, seem positive for us, we want to be a part of it. And so a lot of times, um, you know, we were driven by fear and anxiety and panic because we wanted to be in with the right crowds, we wanted to be at the right parties, we wanted to be in the right social circles. Uh, but more than anything else, more than, more than that, now in today's culture, uh, a big problem that many of us deal with right now is the fear of better options. You know, oftentimes we are trying to think through the different options we have, who to be friends with, where to go to school, what career should I go into? And oftentimes we're actually left paralyzed and stuck, unable to even make a decision, but then when we make a decision and we feel like it's the wrong one, we have immediate regret. One of the most frustrating things for me is, um, you know, when I'm on a date night with my wife and we're trying to figure out where to eat, where to go, um, you know, I, I log on to Instagram or I log on uh, to Yelp, whatever the case might be, and I see all these really good options and these really good restaurants, and I spend time and, you know, probably spend too much time trying to even figure out what I'm going to eat or what we're going to eat. And, uh, you know, we waste time and we end up just getting the same thing, Chinese takeout. Um, I eat that a little too much, but, um, you know, it's my favorite food. And, and so, you know, we pick up the Chinese food, and then we go back home to the couch, and we, we share a meal, and we try to turn on Netflix, and then now we're trying to figure out what we're going to watch. <laughs> and, and we sit there, and, and by the time we're even getting close to figuring out what we're going to eat our, our, or watch, our meal is over, and we throw everything out, and we just go to bed. The reality is, though, in our biggest decisions in our lives, we have many options. But the, thing, the things that are driving our wisdom and our discernment isn't our submission and surrender to God and his authority. It ultimately is driven by the things that we want in our hearts. We look at these options, we weigh them out, to the best of our, our abilities, we say, this is the neighborhood, this is the school district that I need to raise my children in because if they're raised here, they'll get a good education. I can have the good home and the good house. I can take a picture of it and post it on my Instagram and then I'll get the likes and people will tell me that I'm actually doing good with myself. We go to the right schools, study the right programs, make sure that we get good grades, possibly get a master's degree. And for those who are ambitious, you get your doctorate. You find the right career, and then you find the right wife or the right husband, and then now I'm okay. And yet those of us who are in those situations, if you're being honest, you know that you're not. God has provided an opportunity for you to submit and surrender your life under his authority. But the problem is, we don't. Solomon hears this tragic case between these two women. He hears their testimonies, and he needs to make a judgment and a verdict and a ruling. And depending on what he decides, it can change the entire trajectory of their lives. So second, we're going to look at the story. 
Now, these two women are not given a name. They're prostitutes. And so um, Solomon is demonstrating a, a, a great mercy. And really, they have no credibility. They're unreliable. There's no witnesses. So Solomon needs to use his wisdom and discernment that, that was given by God. And so the first woman approaches the king. And he says to the king, my lord, this other woman who lives in my home, who's, who has a son who was born three days after mine, she laid on top of him and her son died. And when she realized what she had done, she came into my room and she took my son, my child. Solomon was trying to find the identity of the true mother while these two women were trying to find their identities as mothers. Friends, sometimes in God's wisdom, he allows us to go and see the truth of our lives through our tragedies. In the tragedy of losing her son, the second woman was led to do something horrendous. She stole another woman's baby. The first woman had her baby stolen. The woman who stole the baby was willing to have the other woman's son killed because she just lost her own. Her response to tragedy ultimately points to the truth of where she puts her hope and her identity in. This woman was probably filled with guilt and filled with shame for, just, for what just happened. Her own son had just died. She was dealing with trauma. She was angry and she was bitter and she was distraught. She not only lost her own child, but she lost her identity. She was a prostitute, and so for her, being a mother was her way out to gain some sort of love and appreciation and acceptance, something that she never had as a prostitute. And so when she lost her son, it wasn't just only losing her child, it was losing her heart. It was losing her life. And look, some of us in this room have gone through tremendous suffering. Some of us here have lost people to tragedy. Some of us have lost our hearts. And I can stand here and try to give you a good answer, but the reality is, if you're asking, why did this happen? How can I really trust God is for my good if he allows this to happen to me? My response to you would be, I don't know. I don't know why you've experienced that type of suffering. I don't know why you've gone through that tragedy. But what I do know is this. It's not about why. It's about who. I may not be able to answer that question for you, but the only one that can give you comfort is God himself. God himself is not adverse to suffering or tragedy. God himself is not running away from your brokenness. He actually pursues it. God himself took on the ultimate tragedy and the ultimate suffering of the cross for you. And so if that's you, if you're in a season of suffering and tragedy right now, trust and know 
that our good Father, He knows more than anybody what it's like. Both women in this story are prostitutes. They both had a low status. They had a poor reputation. They both weren't respected by society. And all of this is directly tied into their identities as prostitutes. But their sons was their way out. They had a greater identity as mothers. And when that identity was threatened and lost, the second woman did everything she could to keep it. For the second woman, being a mother was the one thing she could rely on to give her a greater sense of worth and a greater sense of value. She was willing to steal another woman's son and identity. The second woman was lying and hiding the truth. And we are all trying to find our identity in something apart from God. What is the one thing that if it was taken from you, it would leave you in complete ruin? The thing that you identify with to bring you identity is the very thing that informs all your decisions and choices in life. When we find things, when we find our identities and things apart from God, and we're at risk of losing them, we act just like the second woman here. We hide the truth. We lie. We steal. We cheat. We actually harm those who are in close proximity to, to us. Now, we don't know if these two women were friends, but we do know that they were in close proximity to one another. They lived in the same house. They probably dealt in the same circles. And the second woman directly harmed and stole from the person that was close to her. See, friends, the reality is the things that we find our hope and our identity in, the things that we cling on to with, with all of our work and our efforts and our sacrifices, those are the things that we are not willing to lose. And when those things get threatened, when those things are at risk of being lost, you will do anything and everything to keep it. One of the, the values here at, at our church um, if you go on our website or if you, if you talk to the leaders here, um, we'll, we'll always use that word community. And we believe that community is uh, one of the main ways that God allows us to uh, sit under his wisdom, but uh, also really look more and more like Jesus by walking with one another, speaking to one another, and really being able to burden uh, with one another's experiences. Um, but one of the, one of the uh, problems that I often see is um, really just a lack of honesty of what people are going through. And uh, whether it's um, just how, how much uh, they're banking on something in their lives, whether it's a relationship or whether it's a career or whether it's an education, uh, they, they're, they're really trying to hide what's really happening in their hearts because they want to keep it close. Because they know if that they're being honest, if we all are being honest with the things that we love the most, we're scared that somebody is going to challenge that and possibly take that away. We're scared that if we're being honest and transparent with the things that we love, then somebody will challenge us and actually speak into us, tell us, hey, this is something we got to let go, and we're not willing to do it. 
We're liars. And furthermore, we also have a real bad struggle with uh, this, I call it the sin of comparison. We look at other people's successes as if they are our failures. When somebody is on the rise in their careers and building wealth and potential and joy, when they're getting into new relationships, when they're getting married or having children, when good things are happening to the people in our close proximity, we oftentimes aren't happy for them. We're actually sad that we don't have it ourselves. The reality is our choices and our decisions in life isn't based on submitting and surrendering to God. It's not based on depending and and sitting under his authority. Our wisdom and decisions are based off of our own authority. And so Solomon has a choice. He has to use wisdom and discernment to determine the truth. And so that leads us to our third point, the verdict. The reality is Solomon did not have to take this case. He could have let the lower courts handle it. But he chooses to display his mercy and his wisdom. And after he hears the testimonies of these two women, he says, bring me his sword, cut the baby in half, and give half to one and half to the other. And the true mother responds immediately, and she says, please, my Lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the woman who stole the baby, she responds saying, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Look at the radically different responses from these two women. The true mother is frantic and she's panicking and she's saying, give my son away. At least he will be alive if if you give my son to this woman. She's desperate. She knows that the only way her child can live is if she loses him herself. The true mother is willing to give up her son and so that her son would find rescue and would live. But the other mother says, kill him. If I can't have him, neither will you. Immediately after Solomon hears this response, he gives a ruling and he gives a verdict. Solomon says, give the baby to the first woman. Give the son to the true mother. We have to see that, that Solomon, in this trial, in this, criminal, in this criminal case, was ultimately able to use his wisdom to reveal the truth. But you see, this, this trial and this story in, in 1 Kings chapter 3, it ultimately reflects the trial that we're living in. You see, we're always on trial in our jobs, in our homes, in our church. We're always living our lives, making choices and decisions to justify our existence, to tell ourselves that we are good and to make other people validate that. But really, the the physical reality that we experience is nothing in comparison to the cosmic reality that's underneath it. Because the cosmic reality is that we're on trial with God. That in his creation, God created us for worship and for full surrender and submission to him and his authority. And yet, we don't live in full submission and surrender to his authority. We live under full submission and surrender to our own. 
We are the guilty woman in this story. We are the sinner. We are the ones with the low status. We're the ones that lack credibility. We are the ones that hide the truth. We lie, we cheat, we steal for the things that we love the most. But we're also the, the sufferer in this story. Some of us experience tragedy. We experience loss. But the reality is we deserve a verdict and judgment of wrath and guilt because we have become the authority in our own lives. It was God who ultimately gave Solomon his wisdom to administer justice. It was God who was merciful to Solomon so that Solomon could be merciful to others. It was God who responded and answered Solomon's prayer. The story of King Solomon ultimately points us to the true king, King Jesus. Solomon demonstrated mercy by hearing the case of the two women, even though they weren't deserving of it. Jesus doesn't just hear you, he dies for you. Solomon threatened to kill the son, but God's son wasn't just threatened with death, he actually died. The living son was threatened to be cut in half, and the mother was willing to give her son up for his rescue. Jesus was actually torn apart from his father, completely losing access on the cross. Solomon threatened to cut the baby with the sword of judgment, but Jesus Christ didn't just take on the threat of a sword, he was pierced by it. The mother of the living son was willing to give up her child for the sake of of the child's rescue. But God the Father sent his beloved son not to be rescued, but to die for us so that we would be rescued. Do you know how wise God is? God is perfect in his wisdom because he, save, he sends us a savior and a substitute to do the very thing that we could not do for ourselves. Jesus demonstrates the ultimate humility by fully surrendering his life. On the cross, Jesus took on the full judgment and wrath of God, and it was on full display. But what we have to realize as well is that he was demonstrating true grace and true mercy. The cross is where God's judgment, his wrath, his justice meets his grace and his mercy and love, and he did that for you. Our sins required a payment for a perfect life that would be sufficient to close the cosmic gap that was between man and God, and it became closed. That gap became closed because the Son lost access to the Father. He took on the full wrath, being our propitiation, meaning he was the substitute and the payment, and he did it with his blood, pouring out his righteousness fully, and by faith, we are now able to be covered by his blood, covered by his righteousness, covered by his love, because he fully take on, took on sin and death in our place. To the degree and measure that you believe that, that you trust that, you can live with hope. You can live with wisdom when you're confronted with some hard choices and decisions in your life. King Jesus died for both the sinner and the sufferer. And so this also means that when you're riddled with guilt and shame, 
when you're filled with regret for the decisions that you've made in your life, trust and know that God is still doing a work through your brokenness. We're able to put faith in the finished and accomplished and completed work of Jesus. He's given us a way out. He's given us a way out from, his, from our sin and from our misery, allowing us to then have our decisions informed by the cross and not by our hearts. Let the gospel be big in your life. You know, a, a lot of us have actually been to church for a very long time, and we, we're, we have some really good church language, and uh, we use words like repentance and faith and, and gospel and sin and savior and substitute. Um, and and we're, we're very, like, monotone about it as well. You know, we, we actually try to sound wise by using this language. Uh, but one of the big things that we're learning here in 1 Kings chapter 3 is that wisdom isn't so much about speaking, it's about surrendering. Your ability to listen really determines how wise you actually are, not the things that you can say. But also the, the gospel is the good news that saves us from the penalty and punishment of our sin. And sometimes we act as if that's not good news. Sometimes we lack the joy, we lack the confidence, we lack the humility of this reality. Friends, let the gospel be bigger in your life. Let it inform your decisions. A practical thing we can do now is just be wise. Don't just base your decisions off of how you feel. Base your decisions of what you know, what God has already said through his word. Solomon demonstrated mercy. And the reality is Jesus demonstrated ultimate mercy for us. And so we can do that for one another. We can do that in our city. We can do that in our communities. When we see people and we naturally think they're beneath us, Maybe it's a good time to rethink about how God has demonstrated his kindness and compassion towards you. True wisdom ultimately leads to revealing the truth. Can you speak wisdom to one another's lives? Can you be honest and transparent with where you are and where your heart is and allow truth to be revealed? Not so that you can be hurt or harmed, but so that you can find a greater hope in what God has already provided for you. We can also demonstrate justice through kingly wisdom. We live in an unjust world and an unjust society. We see brokenness all around us. Will you be an advocate in your neighborhoods and in your workplaces, in your homes, and advocate for those who don't have a voice? Lastly, the gospel heals us in our brokenness. Christ was completely torn apart so that you can be put back together. Those things that are falling aside in your lives, you can now pick them up and be made whole again. Let's pray.